Okay, there we go. See, we're being recorded. Hello, Mia. Hello, uh, probably Leslie. Possibly the Jews in Dharma. I don't know, because you may be here by the time we're done. But I, I want everybody to see this is actually operating. See? Now I'm going to put it in my pocket. And undoubtedly some magic is going to happen and it will stop operating. But it is now. Because last week, nothing recorded. And nobody can figure out why. Every week we record and then we erase. Last week it had week one on it still. Don't look at me. It's electronic. So, I am interested, you from another country, how would you pronounce this? Oh, I'm sorry, that's sloppy. That's a epsilon. Started off misspelled <laughs> as a uh, iota. So say it again. Okay. Or perete polinita. Or actually, it wouldn't be said that slow. It would be polinita. Perete. Polinita. Poly, much or good. Nita. Night. Okay. It's just an idiom for a greeting in the evening. Okay? That's, that's your fun for tonight, folks. It comes and goes just that quickly. Yes, I know. So, we should pray. Because we got lots of fun ahead of us tonight. Ready? Father, thank you for bringing us together and giving us the opportunity to study your word and to go into it a bit deeper. Lord, we ask for uh, wisdom, for memory, for understanding. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to just make the jumps from one concept we're learning to the other to the other so that they begin to string together and make sense. Give us all patience, Lord, as we continue to practice and help us to understand your word. Because, Lord, ultimately that's what we want, is to be able to know you better and to be more faithful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is the week before Thanksgiving that I have a Christmas present for you. Those who aren't here, these are 30 bucks each. They're not, but that's what I'm going to charge. <laughs> Actually, I think my standard charge is 50, isn't it? But so that's a discount. Yeah. He's actually got one. <laughs> when I was in school, there was one that was like twice this size. So, you know, you had this giant thing. You couldn't fold it up and carry it around because it would rip. It was quite, quite inconvenient. Now, if you look this over, what I've just handed out for those of you who are wondering what in the world is going on with those guys is a chart by Zonderfen, and you can get it on Amazon. I know this because I did. Um, it is entitled uh, Biblical Greek, but Google, or not Google, enter... Uh, Greek grammar chart, 
and it'll pop right off up for you. And um, it is uh, is written written by William Mounts, who apparently writes the textbooks that are being used these days as well. From the exclamation I heard a little earlier. Now it's not organized quite the same way I've given you. Um, that's fine. It's because it's got the titles everywhere. If you look through it, you'll see what it actually is, and it won't be very hard to learn how to use it. Um, if you were in school and you were expected to memorize all of this and you use this, that would be called cheating. Okay? Um, but you can, it can help you memorize, but what it also can do is help you when you decide not to memorize to decide what in the world is that I'm looking at. Now, it isn't, in my opinion, quite as good as an analytical lexicon. Did you go get one? Yeah. Good for you. Um, it's not, it's not going to be quite as useful as that because that takes the given word that you're looking for in the context you're looking at it and totally parses it for you. So it's all done. Now, this will help you do that without having to re-memorize everything, but you do have to go searching a little bit. Um, you're going to find that out because we're going to use it in a little bit. But um, that's fine, assuming you're not trying to beat a speed record in translating something. Um, when, you, when you see a word and you say, eh, I just can't remember, what, what tense is that? What in the world ending is that? Uh, there's one that's going to come up, in fact, um, that all of us are going to look at in a minute, that it's not exactly rare, but it is a little unusual, and it's going to be one of those. You're probably not going to have memorized enough to be able to recognize it. And I mean, if you want to, feel free. But most of us, and I, and I say us, because like I said, I memorized all of this. Everything on this chart I had for an hour or so. <clears throat> you know, as soon as, the, as soon as the exam's over, it starts leaking out. And uh, I plugged the leak, so it was a slow leak, but it kept leaking. And uh, I'm still using what I learned 40 years later, but a all the stuff that I memorized, not all of it, a lot of what I memorized is just not there anymore. And I frankly don't have time to go put it there again. So use an analytical, or you can use a chart like this for reference. If you look at the front, you've got the alphabet itself, and then underneath you've got the definite article and the relative pronouns spelled out for you, and then you've got first and second declension nouns. Uh, most all of that you've gotten already. Um, oh, I see what they did. Uh, on the alphabet itself, they also give you a pronunciation guide. Uh, I suspect that uh, Edmund and Brian would be much happier with that than I would be. Um, but that's okay. Um, then there's, on the other side, there's the case endings and rules. By the way, what's the rule about rules? Mostly an exception. Most of the time. There are, there's bound to be a rule somewhere to which there's no exception, which in itself makes that the exception to the rule that there's always an exception. Everybody follow that? So when you, when you memorize these rules, don't be terribly surprised when you run into a word that doesn't fit the rule because it's a language. And languages, unless you're writing formal, languages don't always fit rules. 
Okay, at the bottom, you've got an interesting little chart that tries to help you understand the use of a number of the um, uh, prepositions just by positioning on your little circle there. Then on the inside, you've got pronouns again, um, and they're all declined for you. You've got adjectives, third declension, master personal ending chart, master verb chart, verbal root patterns, and then you've got some of the cases spelled out, like the indicative, which is by far the most common. And then underneath that, the subjunctive. And then you've got the verb to be, um, which is parsed out for you all the way. Then contract verbs, the liquid indicative. See, some of these you're going to have to go look words up just to know what you're looking at. The overview of the subjunctive. What is subjunctive, by the way? Do you remember? Is it, a, is it a tense? Is it a case? Is it moody? <clears throat> that was a hint. Is it, oh, it's a mood. There you go. And subjunctive basically is that which might be. So it's not future. The future is going to be. Will be. Subjunctive could be, maybe, if something happens. And you will find a fair number of words in the subjunctive being used in the scripture. Okay, then on the back, principal parts of common nouns. That just gives you... Um, again, the, some of the very common ones, and uh, couldn't take it, huh? <laughs> Master participle chart, um, and athematic, or a-thematic. Um, I, I love that, because as soon as I saw that, I thought, anathematic. What are they cursing here? I don't understand. How many of you got what I just said? Okay, anathema is the Greek word for curse. So, anathematic, get it? No. Okay. Um, so you get the conjugation of the athematic verbs. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hope this is useful to you. This is a gift from the congregation to you for being willing to put this kind of energy into this study. Um, so... Thank you guys for doing it. Those of you who are part of the class listening, uh, I have yours here. Uh, others, I'm sorry, I only bought those for those in the class, but um, they're not that expensive, so feel free to go online and grab one if it's useful to you. I did look for the little slide rule versions, and I can't find anybody making them or selling them anymore. It was so, I mean, I could barely find slide rules, period. <laughs> They would have had them. There you go. So, oh yes, oh yes. We originally had about 15 or 20 interests. Um, a number of them immediately said, I just don't have the time right now. And then one or two, one definitely, and then maybe a second, said, I, I can't do Thursday night. And then, as you've noticed, a few um, just filtered out during the course of the class. 
Um, most of them I know why, and that's usually time. So, yeah, we've got a number of others. And then we've got a few who never were able, going to be able to be here who have asked if they could follow online and are doing that by listening to the recordings, which unfortunately are not great for that because they're more for people who are in the flow of this. Um, and then I also include them in receiving the handouts when I send handouts. I'm already feeling nervous about class ending. Class ending. And you want it to end now or what? Oh. That was the plan. Today, break next week. Does everybody hear that? Next week is Thanksgiving Day. It will be the night of Thanksgiving Day. I'm not coming here. If you wish to come here, no problem. If, so that ain't going to work for you. So uh, I, would, I would say take a break on Thanksgiving Day. But the week after, the Thursday after, um, and the, the plan is three Thursdays then, um, which will take us pretty much up to Christmas. And that will be the end. I would consider, um, I'm not sure I can consider a full class because if I do this, then I can't do another one. Um, I'm pretty much maxed every night now. So teaching this does not allow me to teach another class. But what I might be able to do is arrange, uh, even if I do another class beginning in January, uh, to have somebody sub maybe once a month and have a month refresher where we would get together and share what we're learning and what walls we're running into, etc. Beyond that, there's several of us. Edmund was sitting there wanting to see more of what we do, but on a tight schedule, unfortunately. Um, Edmund is doing graduate work right now in Greek. I guarantee you he's way more attuned with a lot of what I'm teaching you than I am right now because I'm way ahead of him on forgetting it. See? Um, behind Edmund would be Brian. But I suspect I'm also ahead of you on forgetting it. I, I've had decades more time to make sure I forget it. Um, and so there's, there's a number of us who would be happy to work with you um, even one-on-one -on -one if you want to do that. So the fact that the class itself is not going to continue as it is right now doesn't mean that we can't still support each other and help each other as we continue. Yeah. That should be very doable. I, I believe I told you guys in the very beginning by the end of this class, you will be able to practice. Okay? That, that doesn't mean you're going to have it all down. Absolutely not. Because most of you are not even going to memorize the stuff we're forgetting. You've got it in the charts and so forth. And there's no good reason for you to. Unless, again, you plan on somehow getting a job translating the, the Greek into Scripture um, for a new Bible translation or something. Why would you do that? Why would you spend the time doing that? You don't need to for what you're going to do. So use the tools. Get comfortable using the tools. Because then you're going to be able to look up anything you want. 
Okay? Now, the difference between you and the guy teaching uh, graduate-level Greek over at Rosemead is he didn't have to look it up because he lives in it all the time, and he memorizes it, and that's fine. Good for him. I don't even have the time to do that. So none of you are going to either, and I, I want you to hear, don't ever think that means you're not getting it or you don't have it enough. Right now, you're feeling just as, as confused and panicky as the average graduate student does right about now. I mean, I wish you could have seen Edmund, if you're listening, I'm using you. I wish you could have seen Edmund about, oh, two weeks before the end of his Greek one year. I mean, just seeing him study or seeing him absolutely go nuts. Um, it was really quite comical, and I apologize that I did not record any of it. <laughs> you know. But there was that kind of a, I remember being him. <laughs> I remember doing that, so maybe that's why I didn't. I don't know. Probably not. I just forgot. Okay. So... <clears throat> With that in mind, what's going to happen with the next, well, tonight and the next three nights, I will be introducing a few new things to you. I'm going to need to work with you for at least another year just to introduce all of the grammatical concepts, including some of those that are on this chart, because some of those are, are rare enough that for what we're doing, they just don't merit the time, frankly. So I'm not going to do that. We don't have the time for it. You're not going to have the time for it. And again, we really don't have a reason to do that. So instead, I'm going to then try to use these last weeks that we've got together helping you get as comfortable with the tools as we possibly can. So we're going to do that, and we're going to play with it in a number of different ways. Um, I do have, excuse me, um, including my own, I now have three of uh, Art and Gingrich's lexicons. I have three analytical concord or lexicons, plus uh, one of you has one now, and I have three Moulton and Gideon's concordances. So for a group our size, it's not enough for one per, but enough for you to, to be hands-on with them and get to know them a bit. I introduced you to WAVE, and um, tonight we're going to begin to just play with some of these. So WAVE the stuff that you've memorized or have handouts on, the chart I gave you, and these references. They, they present to you a package of resources, which together really will give you what you need to get basic study done. Now, the good news, if you, if, let's say you're doing a word study and you want to really go deeper. That's not going to be in Greek. You're going to get the primary grammar and the, and the primary meaning out of the Greek, and then you're going to use, say, little kittle, or maybe even big kittle, and most of that's going to be in English. So you know, you're going to use different, different resources if you really want to go deep. And so you don't have to be worried about, well, what else don't I know? Okay? You will get to a point where you're re reasonably proficient. In fact, I would, I'll go so far as to say, if you actually use these and practice these, you're going to be as proficient easily as the average preacher with an MDiv. An MDiv, by the way, is a 90-hour master's degree. It's a standard for people in ministry, um, and it includes typically two solid years of Greek. 
and you're going to be as good as us because the average one has that same hole I've got and stuff's been leaking. And so they're going to use tools just like I do and just like you do. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the only handout I've got tonight other than what I gave you is the um, class agenda. But the class agenda has a few things on it that you're going to need. So allow me to spread a little more joy. You guys are all having fun, right? Okay, let me, let me try that one one more time. You guys are all having fun, right? Yeah. Turkey. fun, I want you to pick a New Testament word, English, a word that you have run into, a word you've studied, a word you haven't studied and you're wondering about. By the way, sometimes the result of that is you find out there's absolutely nothing to it. You know? Sometimes a word is exactly what the word sounds like. Well, this is fascinating. I'm trying to load my program and my computer is frozen. I hate it when that happens. Okay, so everybody think about it. Ask yourself, what word is it? Try not to pick things like and or the. A word out of a particular passage, a word with meaning to you. Geek guy. Come here. Make that work. No, they're better than me. No. So he would be the monkey because he made it work. I was apparently just a stupid gorilla. See, if you're listening at home, or don't you wish you were here knowing what in the world we're talking about? <laughs> what are these guys doing? Okay, who's got a word? Condensed? Condensed. Oh, condensed. Now, can you give me a passage? Condensed from Romans 8.38. What's the first step? in studying this. This is not a quick trick question. Well, that's going to help you perhaps from an English perspective, but if we're, what's the first step in studying that word in the Greek? You, you might want to know what word it is. See? So you're going to have to use some tool it could be the, the concordance, like a Strong's. Um, it could be if you've got some knowledge of the vocabulary, enough to kind of you know, weed out half the words, then you could find it perhaps in um, the Greek text itself. 
You could use waves. And all you have to do is end up selecting the words, and one of them is going to pop up with that definition. You're going to figure out that's the one that they're talking about. Um, you know, there's a number of ways you can go about it. But one way or the other, you need to know what word it is and exactly what form that word is in. You do not want the lexical form. Because the lexical form is going to tell you what the word condense means, which is helpful, but it's not going to tell you all of the nuances grammatically of how it's used in that context. Does that make sense? Has anybody used a tool yet to find what word it is? Do you have a word for Android yet? Do I? <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid I can't take credit for it, but no, I don't know of one. Okay. By the way, for those of you who are talking about using the English tools, they're all here in the box. See? Well, some of them are here in the box. Did I bring a concordance? Or they're in room T6. So apparently the one that you want most I didn't bring. Does anybody have, I suppose, a, a strong concordance? No, they're all in the box yeah, yeah. Okay, down here. Down here. We hide them right there. That's where they yeah. dim. We hide them for our bike. You turkey? Yeah. Twice a day you're a turkey. <laughs> Are those from Six or from her um, uh, they're stash? Really, yeah, they're really yeah. Every day in a cart, but then they just left them here for Okay, yeah. So just pull one of the concordances out, or just pull one of the biggest books out, because that's a concordance. Now, has anybody, while she's doing that, because we don't all have to use the same approach, has anybody found the word yet? There you go. Let me guess. You're, you're Android people. All the geese are. And their wives. I don't say it bad. He's the guy that made the computer work. Hey, full of respect here. I just pointing it out. Yeah, the cool thing is that, and, and you'll be able to probably figure out the word Romans, unless you've totally spaced the capital letters. <coughs> Did anybody finding it? You need to be louder. Okay, it, but the exact, that's the lexical. Now, how did you find that? Okay, did everybody hear what she just did? Guys, listen up. Because she just did it without anything that costs money. Well, except the phone. Yeah. She went on with her smartphone. She went on to Blue Letter Bible. She looked up in the interlinear through the Blue Letter Bible. 
and in your linear will have condensed and then it's going to have that word underneath it and found unfortunately they had for some reason the, the lexical form which okay well it, yeah it's probably better to just find it but yes so now we know that the lexical form Is, is that it? Is that yes, what you're seeing? Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. What? Okay. Or Pismet. Remember where the accent is. Okay. So the word is Like that? Okay. Yeah. Does everybody see it? Now let's talk process a little bit. You found it through blue letter, but you found the lexical, which you need, by the way, but hold on. How did you find it? Bible Hub. Okay, interlinear with Bible Hub, and it gave you the actual contextual form. It gave me the step two, but I didn't believe it. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> and by the way, looking at those two words real quick, this word and this word, what's the root, or as mouth calls it, the stem? I prefer root. It's simple subtraction. Yeah, what is it, what's, the, what's in common? And it's that. So now you know that's the root that you're looking at. And what you've got in addition is a prefix and the endings. Okay? Now, since the prefixes and the endings are what's listed in these charts, that's going to help you a lot. Um, over here, you said, yeah, that's it, which means you found it too. Which tool were you using? Well, I would use the prefix. Okay, so, hey, this is not bad. You're looking at the Greek text. You're finding a word that seems like it might be, and number one, it's at that reference. And the reference is in English, ironically. Well, Romans isn't, but the numbers are the same numbers, okay? And then you find the word, and you find the word pretty quickly. And the reason you find the word pretty quickly is it's the first word in the sentence, which, by the way, tells you what? What? Is this a trick question or no? It's not I never ask you a trick question unless I tell you I'm asking you a trick question. I'm guessing word order you said once means they get more emphasis and this is the beginning of the sentence. And you didn't guess it. You remembered it. So, the beginning of the sentence. Now, th the reason that's important is because that very word could be four words later in the sentence. It wouldn't make a difference except for emphasis. Okay. So the fact that he's got it up front means the emphasis is on the fact that he's convinced. Okay? So I am convinced. Now you will look, by the way, and find that there is no additional pronoun connected to convinced in this. 
The pronoun is in the ending because it's first person. Does that make sense to you? First person, by, by definition, is I. So you don't need a other, another word. The ending itself tells you what that is. First person singular. And then, now we, we parse it and using the endings or the prefix. What does that prefix indicate? Let's see. Now, this, one, this one's a little bit out there because we only actually talked about it two or three minutes total, I think. Do I remember? Is that a no? No, nobody remembers. Correct? Okay. So then you start looking. Uh, you do several things. And for time, what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you. But you, if you just look at this chart long enough, you'll find it. And what it is, is perfect. The P, or pi, depending on your pronunciation focus, um, and with the, uh, usually with an epsilon, is the prefix that indicates this is perfect tense. Okay? So in this case, it's the prefix, not the ending, or the suffix. And then we've got the suffix, which in this case is a sigma and meh, or my. What is that? One of you already came up with it, so go ahead and throw it out. It is indicative. What else? I already said it's first person. I'll even give you another bone. It's singular. That um, me, alpha, iota is usually a singular ending. What did you say? It's what? Um, not middle and passive. It's one or the other. But the ending is the same for both. So how do you determine which one it is? Everything's context. Okay? Does that sound like anybody's horn in here? Nope. <laughs> Somebody broke in and turned it off for you. Don't worry about it. Um, so in this case, what do you think it is? And how do you arrive at that? Well, convincing someone else is active, not middle. <clears throat> so the way it's being translated is certainly passive. So one of the things you can do is simply choose to go with what the, the typical translation is. And this is, this is a commonly quoted verse, so it's not going to be unusual for, for us to say, I've heard that, I know what it is. Well, no, you know what a translator said it was. Okay? So if that's also middle, if the ending's also middle, how would that be translated? Um, well, yourself is second person. I mean, you're on the right track because it's reflexive. 
Who convincing you? I convinced me. Okay, a little awkward. So we probably translated a little bit different than that. So the, the active voice would be, I convinced, and then you need an object. I convinced somebody. I convinced you. I convinced some guy reading this 2,000 years later. Whatever. Um, passive, I am convinced. Something's worked on him to convince. What, we haven't even run, run what convince means yet, by the way. We're simply looking at the gr grammar of it, right? So passive would be, I've convinced myself. Now, is that possible? It could easily be. So why do you suppose the translators chose passive instead of middle? By the way, passive and middle are not always the same ending. So there's times when you don't have to worry about this. Okay, they have a um, preconception that Paul was convinced by God, not by himself. And they've decided to translate this consistently with that preconception. Now, th that sounds like bias, doesn't it? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's using the greater context. Where may they have received that preconception? Maybe, but I could make a case just with this passage, not looking at anything else, that it could still be middle. Okay. When did Paul become convinced? Right? Riding around, minding his own business, which was to go arrest Christians and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. And next thing he knows, he's on his butt in the street, and there's somebody who apparently he can't see because he's been blinded, saying, what is with you? Why do you keep persecuting me? And Paul says, why? <laughs> That's American. <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. Who are you? And by the way, I think he would have said, sir, because whoever he was was bright light, blinded him and knocked him on his butt. So, sir is probably indicated here. And then Jesus said, it's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. What's with you? Which is, again, a little paraphrase, but it's pretty close. Um, and then he was told to do what? Go study. Go back. Look at your synagogue, man. They've got the scrolls. Look it up. What was he told to do? Anybody remember? Ananias. You go to Damascus. Go to this street. There's a guy named Ananias. He'll tell you what to do. Jesus was not going to let Paul, who, by the way, was an amazing scholar, fluent in at least three languages, 
and all of the customs of the Romans, the Greeks, and of course his own as a Pharisee. Jesus wasn't about to let him take credit for this. So Jesus knocked him on his butt. Suppose you can make a case for it was Ananias that convinced him, because Ananias is the one that actually explained things to him. But one way or the other, it wasn't Paul. He wasn't able to pull this off on his own. So, from what we know of greater context, the passive makes all sorts of sense. You get that? Where grammatically, sure, it might be uh, middle, but it doesn't make sense middle, grammatically. So, I've never seen that translated middle. That passage. There's other passages, clearly they are, but not that one. Okay? Now, what else is that, parsing-wise? We said it was perfect. What does perfect indicate? Perfect is a tense. Therefore, what does perfect indicate? <laughs> I told you, I don't do trick questions unless I tell you they're trick. You guys got to learn to trust me. I can't hear you. And this can't hear you. I can't help you with that. <laughs> a certain percentage is just pretty much guaranteed anyway, so go for it. I have convinced would be active, so you're very close. I have been convinced, which is pretty much what they said. But what is what is it indicating then? Completion. That's the word. It's not. Look, I've been looking into this. I've been studying it, and I'm 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 leaning in this direction. No, he's not leaning anywhere. I have been convinced. And by the way, by the time he writes this. He's been risking his life for years. So clearly he's been convinced, or he wouldn't be doing that. So, you know, what we see as pretty light, pretty simple, we need to not gloss over that. There's a statement being made by this guy that's important for, for the rest of us to hear. I've, been, I've looked at this enough, and I'm convinced enough is a done deal that I'm willing to put my life on the line. In fact, I've been doing it. That, because we haven't talked about what he's convinced of yet, just the convinced, right? Okay, so one, bit, one more big step in this process. This, by the way, so far is relatively simple, okay? There are times, I mean, the, the whole middle passive thing, okay, got to figure that one out. But there are times we're going to run into some really bizarre things because it's those exceptions I keep talking about. And where are you probably going to figure that out? That it's an exception. That it doesn't fit any of these rules we're talking about. Not that I'm aware of. Well, trial and error, except you may not know your error. 
if I'm studying and I'm not certain of myself, what do I do? Well, I rule out what I can rule out, but I'm still not certain of myself. So what do I do? I'm not certain of myself. When I was teaching ethics for counselors, I used the word consult as often as I used the word context in here. Because if you want to, try, if you want to avoid being sued, consult. Okay? If you're not sure what to do, consult. If you're not sure what the answer is on the test, well, if it's open book, consult. Okay? And when you're working with a client, it's always open book, so consult. When you're studying, consult. You're not the Lone Ranger. Now, if you think Brian or I happen to know, then sure, consult us. Because the one thing Brian and I do know, that you may or may not, is where to go if we don't. There are a number of books, even commentary sets, that specialize in exactly this. So now I get to bring this one out to you. This is the Expositor's Greek Testament by uh, Nicole. You guys, were you exposed to this one? Okay. This is, I believe, still pretty much considered state-of-the-art, even though it's, it may even be 100 years old by now. Uh, the Greek hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, Nobody rewrote the 2,000-year-old document, so guess what? Um, this is not a commentary on any of the stuff you're going to find in your basic commentary. Because guess what? There's a dozen of those for every book. I mean, there's actually a thousand of those for every book. So instead, what these guys, this is edited by Nicole, by the way, what these guys set out to do is only comment on that which is immediately relevant to the Greek part. Exactly the stuff we're doing. So it's the grammatical endings, it's the idiom, it's the positioning, and it might even be the meaning of the words in some cases, although there's a lot of that out there too, and they tend to do what's not covered somewhere else. So if you're running into something that just doesn't make sense or what you're seeing doesn't fit any of the translations you're seeing, is it like, well, the whole world is wrong except me? It's possible. But before you go there, look at a resource like this, and it's organized, by the way, biblically. So you, you pull out the one that says Romans. This one's just, this is the first one, the Gospels. Uh, you pull out the one that says Romans, and you look up that passage, and you read what it has to say about that passage. And if there's some giant rule that's an exception here, odds are pretty good he's going to tell you about that. Because he and the whole board of other editors and uh, commentators that contributed to this have spent their whole lives ferreting those things out. And I'm guessing we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, now, yeah, this one's hard to find. Um, you're not going to find it, I guarantee you, on any of those three sites. Um, it's not hard to find. It's hard to find without paying for it. So where can you find it without paying for it? Yeah, me. <laughs> no, it's not going to be in there. There's no way in the world I'm going to put this in there and see it run away. Because things happen to walk away. See all those books over here that aren't there? So it's going to be in my office. And any time you want, you're totally welcome to come into my office and say, I'm stuck on this one. 
could I look that up? And if you look it up and you don't understand it, then hand it to me. And then I can say, I don't understand it either. Which almost always is confirmation that, yep, there's something there going on. Does that make sense? Okay. That's not going to be that common, but it is going to happen. And if it happens to you while you're first getting started, I don't want it to be one of those things that, that discourages you and you end up going, oh, forget it. I'm not going to mess with it. Okay, what's the last thing we need to do then to really understand this word in this context? Um, that's part of it. It, it, the, the big thing is we need to understand the meaning of the word itself. This word, because this is this word, that's just different grammatical markings. Does that make sense? So what's that word mean, peso? Where do you find that out? What do you have there? Um, and again, is this, what is this? It's a blue letter. Blue letter still. And I would say strong, I guess. Okay. To be persuaded to trust and confidence and then a whole bunch of more information. More information. So you're not, you don't have just strongs, because strongs gives you only synonyms. So they, no, I mean, for, okay, they teach now, some other resource. It's, it's an outline form. So I guess Okay, well that's active. Okay, now, you may be studying this and you read that, you're good. If you're good and you got more to study, what should you do? What? What did you say, Joyce? Loud, please. Move on. Exactly. Do not fall into the trap of spending half your life studying one word where the first half hour of your study was really 95% of what you're going to get. Because trust me, that last 5% is not worth it. It's not worth your life. <laughs> so move on. But on the other hand, if you're saying, yeah, but I don't get this still, or how does this, I'm trying to figure out, because I'm not convinced. I don't feel like I am persuaded. Or how do I persuade someone else? Or whatever. So you, you've got something going on in you that says, I want to understand it more. What do you do? What tool would you use? Tittle's kind of a jump. Um, it's okay if you want to, but that's... Tittle's kind of like shooting a fly with a 12-gauge. Now, if it's, a, if it's a bee or a spider, that is a delightful way to get rid of it. But there is always the whole in your wall thing, you know. So there are, are other tools that do not require you to spend near as much time um, as Kittle. One of those would be to go backwards. Now, you, we've got the word convinced, right? So now that we've got convinced... Um, and, and here's the problem. The tool I'm about to, to talk to you about is geared to King James. So, what's in the convinced? Or, or what's in the King James uh, for convinced? So, you might want to cross-reference that and find out. 
You can go to convinced. It may be there anyway. But this could save you a little bit of time. Okay? And then uh, you're doing that right now, right? Well, there's an old hymn that's off of this. We should all know. I am persuaded. That's right here. Okay? Sorry about the singing there, guys. What can I tell you? Actually, not supposed to be doing that. The doctors have said don't because um, they're concerned about your welfare. Um, okay, I didn't bring that one in because it's not specifically a Greek tool. It is an English dictionary of New Testament words. It's Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament words. So? Do you have my doctoral dissertation in there? What else have you stolen that's in there? Okay, so you got vines over there. It's not part of our study tool packet. So is, what, what is under patho in vines? More to the point, if you would, how much is under there? Okay, so you've got a couple of paragraphs now instead of a few synonyms. What does it say about peso? Check out. Okay. 
sorry, I didn't do it. Okay, let's say you want to find out more than that. Uh, and now I'm not going to just prod you. I just want to lay these out. We've talked about it before. So if you haven't made notes before, make notes now, please. If you want to lay, uh, learn more than that, then the next step is not Kittle, Middle Kittle, which is actually uh, Bromley. Jeffrey Bromley is the one who edited this. He took a 10-volume set, every one of them as big as this, uh, yeah, maybe even a little bit bigger because I believe the font is a little smaller. But every one of them like this, and he condensed it to this one volume, which means you've got 90% less material than in the other one. But you've also got a whole lot of foreign language stuff because the other one's the one I was telling you about where they translated it to English from German. But when he was quoting French, they didn't translate the quote of it from French. That's still in French. If he quoted Arabic, that's still in Arabic. And, and so there's going to be a significant amount that we're not going to be able to pick up on unless we're reading about seven or eight languages. No. The Old Testament counterpart of vines, even though that one says Old and New Testament, it's a lie. The, the New Testament part of vines is this big, and the Old Testament is about a quarter inch. Um, they just threw that in as a, as a bone to people that here's something from the Old Testament. The theological word book of the, New Te of the Old Testament, which is uh, put out by uh, Moody Press, um, the classic version in two, but we've got some over in uh, T6 that are one volume. That's more along the line of vines. It's actually a little bit more advanced in vines, but it's not as advanced as this. So it's going to be academically kind of halfway in between. Um, I've seen one like this for Old Testament. Wasn't real impressed with it personally. All New Testament. Okay. Yeah. Theological Dictionary of New Testament Words. That's the title of it. Now, I'm not going to show you the big kittle because it looks like this, only the covers are kind of purple or blue, depending on how long it's been in the sun. By the time you get through those, you will have learned an extraordinary amount about peto, which in this case really isn't that complicated a word. There is an interesting thing. Peto can mean convinced. It can mean conviction. A little bit different. Right? Particularly because this is God doing this in this context. Right? It's passive. He didn't do it. And we've got that whole story of the, the Damascus Road. So conviction, in this case, pardon? Yes. Yeah. There's more than one word frequently that equals an English word or can be translated there. Now, when that happens, and it's important to be blunt, it's not in this case. Now, feel free to spend time doing it if you wish, but it's not. Um, can you think of a word where it would be important, where there's more than one word and, and knowing which one is kind of important? Love is the biggest one. We've got agape, agapao for the verb. We've got what else? Um, okay, we've got two. Eros. Who said Eros? Eros. Um, 
and eros is a romantic, sensual love. Um, we get our word erotic from it. We've narrowed it. It is not just erotic love. Romantic love would also be eros. The Arthurian ideal of romantic love in the Middle Ages actually was totally non-sexual. The idea was you're married to your wife, you have sex with your wife, and you idealize this other woman. And um, you, you probably never tell her or even interact with her because um, it's, it's conceptual, it's idealist. Okay? We've, we've combined them all and expect all of that, which is one of the reasons the divorce rate is so high, because we have extraordinarily ridiculous expectations for marriage. But that's eros. It's a very big word. Then there's phileo, brotherly love. Okay, and brotherly love is not obviously sensual, <laughs> um, and it's not necessarily agape, although there's some overlap. Brotherly love is the love two brothers would have, which is a companionship, um, a deep friendship, uh, to use the vernacular BFS. Okay, could be kindred spirit. Yeah, that tends to be what leads to brotherly love, I think. Uh, you probably get somebody who would debate it, but I think that's true. There is one, mother, one more, by the way. Uh, the three loves are the most common. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Freaked everybody out. Where do you get another one? Does anybody remember the fourth? Storky. Storge. Storge? Storge. Like G-A-Y. If you're in real trouble today, or star he, which will keep you out of trouble. So, hey, you choose which one. Um, and that's more brotherly love than brotherly love. Um, my brother is, is dead. My brother and I, before he died, spoke very little for the last quarter century. Um, I don't know that we reconciled, because I don't know there was much to reconcile. We didn't really have a relationship. It's his choice. And, okay, that's the way you want it. That's the way it will be. And so brotherly love? Probably not. But there's an affinity between us. There's an existential thing. Um, and hopefully in most families, something much better than that, I see in my kids a love that truly is love, not just an affinity. Um, and it's different than that which I have for close friends. Your dad is a good friend of mine. Fleo. Not story. Not story. Um, he would probably, I suspect, have that for his brother. You'd have to ask him. Um, so, you know, you, you've got these nuances. Now, if Jesus tells us in a context to love, probably be a good idea to know which one. Right? So then we have to look up not only the word, but understand how is that word different than these others that are translated love. This is a tool that can help you do that, but you have to get to the point where you know this word first. Because you're going to look them up by Greek words. There is an index where you look it up, I think, by passage. I've hardly ever used it. Yeah, it's mostly the Greek words. So, and by the way, not every word's in there. So, um, it's, it's uh, Synonyms of the New Testament by Richard Trench. Um, and Trench.
Trench, what he did is he decided which synonyms are important enough to study. That in and of itself was very nice of him, right? And then he studied them, of course, with some others. And then he published his results, meaning here's this word, this word, this word, and this word. Here's the difference between them. How many of you use the study guide that uh, I use to follow up the sermons? few of you do. Um, the one for last week had prayer and supplication. Has anybody done that study already? What's the difference between prosepho and deesis? I have no idea how you would say those. But did anybody look those up already? Okay, considering the fact that none of us ever uses the word entreat, oh. we're probably not sure what that means yet. For what? is that the primary difference is generic versus specificity. That one of those is a word that you're just talking to the Lord about, wow, look at the mountains, Lord. That is fantastic. You are amazing. The power, the creativity, and the beauty that you could just speak into existence. Wow. And wow, by the way, is probably the best praise word we have in our language if we use it accurately. That's prosepho. That it's addressing God. One of the translations for that word actually is worship. It's a kind of prayer that takes place in a generic worship. However, I'm not I'm not going after anything. Now, I'm stuck on one of those mountains and I'm dying. And I don't really want to. And I'm saying, God, I'm freezing. And I'm scared to death for my family. And I, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of here. I need your help. Now I've got a very intense supplication or prayer for one specific thing that I'm searching for. I'm asking for from him. Not all prayer, despite the name of the, or the meaning of the English word, because the English word pray means ask. So, whoops. But not all what we call prayer is request. There's praise, there's thanksgiving, there's just talking with God, who's our Father. But request is important. And there's, there's times when we need to just go after it with everything in us. That's the second one. Now as we're reading, and Paul says, pray at all times. Which one is it? It's important to know, right? And we don't know if we don't look it up. Here's the cool thing. Once you look that up, it's in your head. It's like one of those stupid jingles that you listen to. You can't get rid of it no matter what. You have the difference. So now, when you read an English phrase in the scripture, and you see prayer or pray, 
and it pops into your head. I wonder what, is it this one? Is it, and by the way, those aren't the only two. There's a few others. One in particular that's really interesting in terms of the derivation. As you read those, then you look them up. But this time, you're short-circuiting the whole process. All you're doing is which one is it? Just as if you've done that study on love, all you have to do is look in the Greek text, find which one of those words is there. And now you know. You may want to pay attention to the grammatical endings and all of that. Maybe that tells you a little bit more. But you've already got the meaning. And that, that gets filed away. And it's a cool thing, because what's going to happen is from now on, as you're studying, you're going, I wonder. And your study starts broadening itself automatically. Nobody else has to do that for you, because you've done that for you already. You're building this, this pile that becomes a mound, and it becomes a hill, and it becomes a mountain. Have you ever studied with somebody that studied the word for 50, 60 years? I have. I mean, people who still have the faculties up there. And, and you just sit back and like, and, and when I studied with people like that, it was when I had been studying for about a year. And I was pretty high on myself, because I was smart. And I'm sitting back listening to them, and I'm just shaking my head, because we didn't have home computers. I didn't know how this guy could be a computer. I didn't even know what to call him. I'm just looking at him like, this guy's not human. Because he built that mountain and was able to share from the mountain. That can be for all of us. God is not capped what we can understand from the Word. And everything you get, every time you do something like this, it builds a little bit more. And one of these days, something's going to come up that you did not expect, and you're going to go, whoa, look at that. And everything's going to start clicking. Having fun yet? Okay. Um, let's do one more. I like the idea of you coming up with the words. So, is there another word? Louder, please.
I'm sorry, those of you who are listening online, I wish you could hear everything in the, in the room as everybody attempts to pronounce this word. Okay, would somebody like to spell the word without pronouncing it? Would that be easier for you? What? Say again. Okay. Oh, Ada, I'm sorry. No, I no, I Okay. Okay, I got three letters. F one theta what? Or epsilon theta what? F one? Okay. Yeah, I, we, we uh, kind of messed up right there. Rho what? No. Omega. So did, I, did I mishear you? I thought somebody said Omicron. It's Omega. Okay. What's next? And? And? Okay. Is that it? Okay. When you have enough syllables, you can have more than one accent mark. Okay? Um, you've got a vowel at the beginning, so what else do you need if you're going to do it the way we do today? Yeah, so which one's on it? Hard or soft? Soft breathing marks. Okay. Sorry, wrong syllable. That? Of course it is. Isn't yours? Actually, in the text I'm looking at, it is. criticism and grammatical variance or textual variance and so forth. So it's very possible that we just ran into one and that they're using different bases. Um, and the only difference here is going to end up being a tense. about which apps you're using. Um, hmm? Let me see this. 
Hello. Get your light on me. Trinitarian Bible Society. Don't heard of them. Kendall House Publishers. Um, I'm looking for the for the editors, and I'm not seeing editors listed, which tells me it's not the Alan Metzger version. So that's the difference right there, is that I I am using the Alan Metzger version. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one's better, because I don't know, to be honest with you. I would have to do a fair amount of textual research. Um, again, if you guys really want to spend your life on it, I have a companion to this, which is the Greek Testament. It's even bound the same flimsy way. Um, that is a textual commentary, which then you go into and it gives you these passages and then it gives you all of the different manuscripts that support this one and all of the different manuscripts that support this one and you get to vote which one you like. And if you want to spend your life doing that, have fun. Yeah. Personally, I ain't going to do that, frankly. So, there we go. Now, does anybody want to try to say that? Oh, come on. Okay. A or E? A, E. Okay. U. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get that epsilon in there. So, U or Lev. Mine's easier. There. O. Sen. Elefterosen. Elefterosen. Do you hear it? Yeah. And it comes from the, the lexical form what? How do you find that? What? Which is what? Can you spell that for me? Form is what it looks like in Romans 8 2. 
Whereas the lexical form should have spelled it that way. There you go. The lexical form is simply the standard form that they're going to use in a lexicon so that they don't have to list all the different variants, which would take you a whole page in and of itself. Okay? So what do we know about this here? And how do you know it? Okay, we can go to the chart. Although there's faster ways, but sure, sure, go to the chart. happening here? Or are you guys still looking this up? I can't hear you. On what chart? Well, the endings are there, absolutely. Because then you have to ask yourself, which ending? What do they mean by that? When I said which ending, what, what did I mean by that? all that ending. But she had two different endings. Right? In print. In print, it's got to be true. She had two true endings. Which one are we looking at? Or what, what's going to become more to the point is once we look it up, which one is going to be in agreement with the translator that we're reading? For example, I'm reading New American Standard for the law of the Spirit of Christ in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, excuse me. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Set you free. Parts that for me. What person is that? Set you free. Somebody say it without uh, whispering. Second. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are such chickens. You're always right, but you won't say it. <laughs> okay. Set you free. Okay. Second person. Unfortunately, from the English, you don't know immediately singular or plural, but in the context, singular or plural. Plural. He's not writing this book to one individual, right? So, certainly, second person, probably plural. What else? What mood is it? 
done? Well, that's, um, that's voice. It's a negative. Simple action. Now what voice? Sounds passive, doesn't it? How did you know that? Because it doesn't say passive there, does it? So why weren't you saying that? No, you're not. We're using resources. There's not a person in this room doing this out of memory. Yeah. Says it's what? Third, they, yeah. if it's plural, right? That's what I have to do. Okay. Has set free who? Now we've got an interesting thing where we've got the ending of the word not agreeing with the word that follows it. If indeed the ending is third person. Right? Because say is you. Does everybody, by the way, have say in your Greek text that you're looking at? Since you're, you're, you've got a different variant. That one does. What does that one using the same one. 
which is exactly the explanation for most of the time when you see this particular passage with different translations. Translations are not going to be significantly different. The verb is the same. The only thing that's different is the ending and say, the pronoun. Which one's right? We're going to come back to my favorite answer. How would I know? Once again, we can do a textual study on this. And, and if we did that textual study, I've actually done a few, um, where I have concluded, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Those are almost always the ones where it's already footnoted and put off in brackets and set aside. Because they don't do that when it's not obvious. See, for something like this, what they're going to do is they're going to footnote in the Greek text, usually, if it's an academic text, that this is the way this manuscript reads. Um, and then it's going to say something like, um, this is uh, the earliest manuscripts read this, or such and such manuscript reads this, or the earlier manuscripts read and then give you a different variant. Why is that important? We're getting very academic here, but it's important for you to hear it so that if you read this later, you, you're not going, what? What difference does earlier manuscript mean? What make? Now, you probably would assume it is. All other things being equal, which is a pretty big phrase. So what if all other things aren't equal? For example, what if the earlier manuscript you've got is a fragment from this weird text that's got a bunch of other errors in it, and everybody's looking at it like it's, it's real questionable? And everything else, even a little bit later, very consistently has this reading. So now you've got to go with, okay, is it the earlier one, or is it the weight of evidence? And which one do we decide on? Now, here's, here's the key. We don't because we haven't studied this enough. There is no way in the world I'm going to ever, I mean, you, you feel free. On what I just described, I would never go one way or the other. So what I'm going to do, if it's, if it's obvious, if I'm seeing both, is, okay, let's study it both ways. Let's see what difference it makes. Oh, excuse me. I hope I muffled you. Sorry about that. And then if it makes a giant difference, now we need to put some more time into it. In this case, I will bet you, oh, let's say either of my upper appendages, that it does not. And why am I willing to bet you that? It's a rather rash bet. Because hmm? I've already studied it? No, a little bit. I haven't textually studied it. Because what? Well, you can't prove it because we don't have the original. So that's true. But there are some passages I certainly wouldn't make that statement about. It's going to make a big difference. In this case, if it made a big difference, you would be seeing footnotes all over everywhere. Your English translations would be flagging this. You would be seeing paragraphs 
written about it. And some translations would probably even bracket it off and say, probably not part of the original text. Meaning, this isn't really the Bible, but those guys have it in, so I'm going to let you see it. There's a lot of passages like that. This isn't. And it's been translated. I mean, it's obviously been given a lot of attention in the book of Romans. It's been translated by the best translators in the world for two millennia and not become a big deal. So based on that, I'm willing to bet you it's not a big difference. But it's not that I know it. I'm just betting you based on that. Is that making sense? So when you're running into things like this and it's this quizzical, that means you're not seeing it anywhere else. If, it, if it's more obvious, you've got footnotes in the English translations that are tipping you off to something or saying, you know, there's debate about this or whatever. New American Standard is particularly useful in the big ones. Not necessarily in flagging all of them, but in flagging the big ones. Okay. Okay. Now, what does the word mean? Because the root word is the same. We know that. that's not in the original Strong's. I can't see them saying figuratively and giving you anything. I don't think Strong's did that. So you've got another reason. That's not a bad thing, but you've got another resource adding some material for you. Anybody else seeing anything? wasn't there, how would you know that? That it's in this particular case, it's the law. Vine says in this case, A2 is the law. How do you know that? Context. Thank you. Because he's talking about the law. Which, by the way, in Romans is a pretty safe bet for pretty much anywhere. Sorry about that sound effect. Okay. Free from the control of another. Anybody else? One of the first things that little Kittle says about this is that it should be understood in contrast to slavery, which indeed it was, because slavery was much more common. And when we talk about freedom in the United States in the 21st century, um, we do not literally talk about it in contrast to slavery, almost ever. 
the diatribes that we've all been subjected to in the last year notwithstanding, those are all figurative because no one really would claim that any of us is in slavery or about to become in slavery. Not, not anybody that understands what slavery is anyway. But even figuratively comparing it to that enhances the understanding of the word free, self-determination, um, the ability to not be controlled, manipulated by some other force or individual. That's what freedom is about, right? Why is that important in this passage? talking about? Law. But this verse is talking about two laws. Paul is, by training, a Pharisee. So what law is he going to immediately remember and be focused on? Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. And that law, he himself has said, is the law we are enslaved to, if we own that law. Read the intensity of his letter to the Galatians, who are considering going back to that kind of slavery. It's phenomenal. Because he, I mean, what's the old saying, there's nobody that's worse than a convert. Somebody who's recently stopped smoking, if you happen to be smoking, is going to beat you over the head with it. Good for them. Maybe they'll have an effect. Um, Paul was a law addict. That's what the Pharisees were. A legalist. And he was set free from it. He's not about to let that go. So, in this case, he's talking about a law that set him free. So there's a, an amazing picture coming out of this, as well as a bit of irony. He's talking to the Romans, both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles, um, about the Old Testament law, the law which enslaves. But he's telling them there's another law, the law of the Spirit, and it's set free from the law. It sets you, the law sets you free from the law, but two different laws. So if you're going to go to one law, go to the law of the Spirit. Does that, does that sound important to anybody? See, the reason I think I'm seeing all these quizzical looks is because most of us would go, well, yeah. But the reason we would go, yeah, is because 2,000 years ago this was written. And the church has taught this for 2,000 years. And we have the benefit of that the momentum, if you will, of 2,000 years of teaching that says legalism enslaves you. But the gospel of the spirit, or the, the law of the spirit, the gospel, frees you. And we're all going, whoa, what the hell? To them, that was mind-boggling stuff. Hmm? Well, there, yes and no. There's another thing that makes this even more important. Who were the Roman Christians? 
What do we know about them? The Roman Christians? Yeah. Large number of them were enslaved. Not all of them, of course. But the, the Roman Christians at this time were not wealthy. They were not people with property. They were not people who had power. Um, that didn't happen really for hundreds of years. By and large, these were the people hiding from their masters in the catacombs. Well, not the catacombs quite yet, but the predecessors of those. These are the people who had to get up early on Sunday morning to worship for those who miss worship on Sunday morning because they want to sleep in. And early on Sunday morning, because Sunday morning was their Monday, the beginning of the work week, early meant 2 or 3 o'clock so they could worship together and then be at work when they're supposed to be by, say, 4 or 5 because they were slaves. So when he starts talking about slavery and freedom, these are, these are big words to them. There's nothing figurative about this to them as it is to us. So the word itself is pretty self-explanatory in terms of denotation. We all understand freedom, okay, not controlled by something else. Right? What we don't understand is what it's like to not be free. Because most of us have never experienced anything close to it. We think about, well, I remember with my parents, or I had this boss that was really a jerk, and, you know, no. No, nothing close to it. Their form of slavery meant if the master liked you, you got ahead. If the master was male and you were female and he liked you, you did anything and everything he said. And it didn't matter if you had a husband or children. If the master didn't like you, you did whatever he said. And that could get you killed. Didn't matter. You're no different than a donkey or a dog. And by the way, that made you somewhat valuable because donkeys were expensive. But recalcitrant donkey, donkeys tended to get put down. They lived with this. Paul's talking about freedom from slavery as well as this other law is like your master. It's a, it's, a, it's a slave owner. So which one do you want? Remember we talked about culture of language being as important sometimes as this stuff. Is that all making sense? Okay. You're not going to have time to do this with every word of every phrase that you read. Of course. Well, Yes, yes, but if you're reading, if you read the whole book of Romans, one of the things that should tip you off that maybe there's something you should look into is the amount of emphasis, emphasis that the authors give. And in the book of Romans, this particular subject is given a fair amount of emphasis. Why exactly does he keep talking about this? Again, because to us it's pretty simple. Well, duh. Okay, we get it. No, we don't. And that's, that's the tip-off that says, maybe I ought to be looking into this and seeing if I'm missing something. And that's when you don't just read this stuff. There's another uh, resource, if you want to write this one down. Um, IVP puts it out, and it's called the Bible Background Commentary. 
There's a New Testament and Old Testament version. They're both one big volume. Um, IVP is InterVarsity Press. Um, I love InterVarsity Press. Not because I agree with everything they say, but because they never say, well, never, they rarely say anything um, that's disagreeable without giving you more than one side of it and letting you then make the decision. It's not this, and, and in this background, you know, some people think this is related to this, others this. And other times in something like this, they'll simply say, you know, the culture of the Roman Christians was inundated by slavery. Okay, I'm not quoting from that volume on this. I'm just saying it's the kind of thing it provides background on. So it's not so much the words or the grammar as the culture behind the words and grammar, and there's resources for that. Okay? On this particular research, I found um, a place like the etymology of the root word, and okay. it came up with freeborn, and so that one who's not a slave, or one who ceases to be a slave. Well, one who's not a slave, or one who ceases to be both. Because freeborn would be the one who's not. Right, and then free stands unrestrained, not bound by no Yeah. Yeah. Right. So freed from, or uh, uh, one who's no longer a slave, is not freeborn. Yeah. Because their rights are the same. Again, we have a hard time understanding this because in our country, the slavery that we have um, some historical knowledge of is what? It's obvious. What is it? Pre-Civil War, black. So you're, you're black, you're African American. You're a slave. One-sixteenth, you're a slave. You can look just like me. You're a slave. Doesn't matter. It's not about looks. Okay? It's about your bloodline. Now, most of the time, a slave that was free didn't look like me. He looked like any other African American because he was either going to be 100% uh, or 50% or maybe 25%, but usually 100% or 50% African American. And they look like it, which means once they're free, they're now free legally, but they're in a society which sees them and hates them and treats them as though they're still enslaved. And if you've ever uh, studied the post-Civil War South, it is a phenomenal kind of an experience of what these people went through. I was in Mississippi in 1962. I lived there in 1962. Uh, that was a pretty important year in Mississippi. I didn't understand. I was a kid. And I'm looking around like, what? Because I did not understand the idea of uh, African Americans or Negroes, because no one used the phrase African American back then, uh, being, I mean, obviously they were different, but then I was different from them. So, to me, most of them were good by virtue of the fact that there weren't many of them whose fathers were officers. And that puts you in the good category. That puts you in, why were they good? Why did I think they were good? You're equal is close, but that's, a six-year-old doesn't use words like equal. 
they were like me. And they obviously didn't look like me, but they were like me in what I thought counted, which was, I mean, the only real division in life that I saw was the haves and have-nots in the military. You had the enlisted kids, and you had the officer's kids. And there's a giant, usually a highway in between them. All of the black kids were on my side. They were like me. And then there's all this stuff going on. What's going on with all of this? It was hundreds of years old. In the Roman society, you could be freed, and you had full legal rights. You probably weren't going to make the highest social strata. And by social, I mean exactly what it sounds like today. You know, you're the in person. Or you might be, by the way, if you were like a great gladiator or something like that. But other than that, yeah. But you're going to be seen just as everybody else. Because slavery wasn't about ethnicity. Romans, born Romans, could be enslaved. And certainly other Europeans who looked like Romans could be enslaved and were enslaved frequently. So, that, you know, you, you look at this person, you look at this person, you don't know which one's slave, which one's born free. So the person who's set free is really free. And our heritage, being set free, if you've ever studied that, um, I can put you in touch with a number of African-American Christians today who would be glad to give you their experience of what set free looks like to them. It's not what it looks like to us. Certainly better than what their grandparents had. And they'll, I'm sure, say that. But we're naive if we think it's the same. So, again, you've got this concept and our society and our experience is so different from what we're reading that sometimes the only way of knowing that is to go back and understand what that was like. There's a good case, by the way, for studying that society generically. Because if you study it generically, you're going to come up with all sorts of little interesting tidbits. And then when you read things like this, you're going to go, wait a minute. Freedom, slavery, that, that wasn't the same for them as it was for us. And all of this is going to make sense very fast. Is that clicking? Does everybody feel comfortable with the process that we were using for these examples? Or at least feel comfortable that you know the process enough to practice it? Okay. What tools do you specifically need that you don't have to do this? Think about it, because I'm going to go around. That you don't have. I don't know that I would say better because there's no indication that one's the right one or this one's the right one. Yeah. So don't don't jump to the conclusion there yet that one that that's better for or worse than that one. Okay. So you you might want another text, but it might not make a big difference. Okay. Which one? From 
If you have anybody in here attempted to go get kennel, come to my office. I will I will free you from that temptation. Okay. And by the way, Amazon used. You will find it amazingly cheap compared to brand new. Of course, you just like the smell of brand new. Okay. Joyce? What I want... What, uh, Um, 
Yeah, they do it. And, yeah. They don't even have the next version yet. Because I would have paid the 200 I really would have. Um, I recommend Alan and, Alan and Metzger. Uh, those are two of the editors. You're going to usually find a long list, but it's going to start with Kurt Alland. And um, simply because it's a standard um, in, in America, at least. I suspect in the Western world, but in America. I know in America world, because isn't yours uh, from Germany? Wasn't yours from Germany? Um, I'm not sure. The one that um, Edmund had, which was very much like yours, was actually translated from German. The Greek not, but the English one. Um, all of those remember two words. Amazon used. Okay? Okay, Tim, what do you need? Uh, I want to get the Greek text and analytical Yep. So Greek, analytical, and binds. Okay? It's a good package. You're probably, if you do much study, going to want to go deeper than Vines. But Vines is not a bad place to start. So get it, play with it, especially for a dollar. Play with it and find out if you want to go deeper. Because I might be wrong. And if you, it, is, it is useful. And one of the cool things Vines does, it doesn't quite do the synonymous study that Trench does. But it does list different words that are translated that word to that word in English so it, it gets you started on that kind of a study. And then you can kind of go further with it. But remember what we found with the first word and the, the connotation of evil or not evil influence. And that was simply from reading two different thing, entries in Divines. So it's a good, good one. So do you see any different ones than him? Once again, play with it. We do have that available in T6. Um, the downside to that one is it's relatively new. You can get them used on Amazon, but not near as cheap as used 100-year-old books. Because <laughs> 100-year-old are not quite antiques because there's so many of them, but they're cheap. But, yeah, it's a good, it's a good resource. Okay? Katie, what do you think? What do you need? Which one do you have? We have Bible Works. But uh, Talbot made a sign. Bible Works. Is that Lotus? No, it's like a companion. Okay. It's basically the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Got all the models. Like, yeah. Okay. Cool. Memorizing. And then um, maybe I'll look. I don't know if you know if there's such a little kiddo in 
It wouldn't surprise me. I haven't looked. But the heavier the book gets, the more difficult to just do a screen. Sure, sure. You've got a whole lot of data into one document. Yes, it is. Check Bible Works because that is an add-on to PC Study Bible. So I don't know if Bible Works does that or not. Yeah, I, you know, now they, because I took a computer, they upgraded. If I want to get anything new now, I have to upgrade the version 10. Oh, aren't you lucky? Oh, I'll do it in version 7. Yeah. 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 Yeah
you're going to need some basic saws. Beyond that, it depends on what you're going to do. And frankly, your preferences. I like to hit things, so I use the hammers. Um, you know, maybe you're not going to do that. So you've got to play with them. And what we try to do here is between my library and the resources that we're providing, by the way, that big stack sitting over there is all going into T6 tonight. So there's two Art and Gingriches, two Analyticals, and two Molten and Gedons. And that's when nobody's said anything about. And I understand why. It is indeed a uh, probably a, a want, and WAVE does help you with this to some extent. But this is a concordance, and it's an exhaustive, of the Greek New Testament, not the NIV or the KJV or NASB, but the Greek words. So when you're looking, for example, at a left arrow, oh, then where else is that? What context do we see this word used in? What more can I find out about how that word was used? That tool gives you every place it's used in the New Testament, just like any other concordance, only it's of the Greek instead of the English. So consider that. But that one, in my opinion, is after everything you've already said, with the possible exception of trench and or the expensive ones. And if you've got the money, go for the expensive ones. Why not? Um, and by the way, you can find software used sometimes too. So look online, eBay even, um, Amazon sometimes sells used software. So you can get things like PC Study Bible or Logos used. And if you can get it used, why in the world wouldn't you get it used? Uh, you know, obviously check out who you're buying it from, make sure they're reputable. But if you can get it used, you're probably going to get it for at least two-thirds the price, if not half off. And uh, when you're talking five or six hundred dollars, that's pretty significant. You can get the basic versions for under a hundred, but they're not even going to have all the tools we just talked about. So, once again, play with it. You can go online to all of their websites, and they've got a demonstrator model that'll let you play a little bit and decide if you like the format. Now, all of that said, what we're going to do from now on is exactly what I just said. We're going to play with them. I encourage you to do that at home. I encourage you, the assignments that are listed, pretty much the same as last time, only this time I reference using the chart. Because the more you use these for passages, phrases, words, whatever, that you are interested in, that have already caught your imagination or um, there, there are some words, if you know me, faith is one of those words that it, it literally defines our faith. <laughs> um, and yet what I found when I really studied faith is virtually nobody was teaching faith consistent with the New Testament word because we have this nasty habit of wanting everything to fit into nice, neat little packages, and faith doesn't. It's a bigger word than that. It's three-dimensional. And our packages are not three-dimensional. And so if we're really going to understand it, we have to understand that three-dimensional faith. Excuse me, nobody's talking about that today. Forgiveness. How many of you have ever had a hard time forgiving somebody? Okay. 
How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I can't forgive them? Okay, I hear it all the time. Anybody who says, I can't, does not understand the word forgive. Because forgive is something they absolutely can do. And a lot of them want to. I found this in my counseling practice frequently, working with clients who wanted, they were Christians, they wanted to forgive, but they couldn't get themselves to do it. And then I started asking them, what are you talking about? What does that mean, forgive? When you say that word, what do you mean? And universally, it had to do with feeling better about those people or getting close to those people. But the word forgive doesn't have anything to do with any of that. The way we teach it, unfortunately, frequently does. So just taking these important words to our life and going into the New Testament and saying, what exactly do they mean? I stumbled on that one, by the way, by doing exactly what I'm telling you to do. I was playing with the Greek tools. I had not come across any particular crisis of faith, although when I ran into that, it was like giant light bulbs everywhere. But I wasn't looking for the answer. I was just playing with the Bible to see what can I learn. And I'm looking up the word forgive, and all of a sudden I'm seeing something that doesn't fit what I thought it meant and what everyone else seems to talk about it meaning. That's going to happen. And when it does, the mound gets bigger and your faith gets stronger. Because the cool thing is, every single time you do that, faith makes more sense. Becoming the best friend of the person who molested you for the last 10 years? How much sense does that make? It's not Christian. There's nothing Christian about that. But deciding not to make them pay, leaving any judgment and vengeance to God, and saying, I don't want that person to even have that much control over my life. So I'm just going to get on and try to heal. Even if that means I have to have help. That is forgiveness. And your faith grows. And your strength grows. Because you understand a word. When we talk about there being power in the word of God, that's real. That's not just a, a slogan. Okay. We've got a little bit of time. Let's go into the translation practice. We've been doing a little vocabulary review against your will anyway. So... I've given you a passage, Matthew 28, 19, 20. Now, is there anybody in here that knows what that passage is about? Think about it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Or is it said 19 to 20? What? Great commission. That is the Great Commission. You see, it's a passage that we're familiar with because of where it is, and because we probably heard it quoted about a dozen times a year, or more here. So, as you're reading, you have both a knowledge and a bias of what it means. Be careful. Use the knowledge, but try to let go of the bias. Okay? Now, spend a little bit of time just glancing over that before we dive into it.
you're listening online, this is under number five, Translation Practice of the Introductory Greek Class 10 uh, Agenda. Glancing at it, do you recognize any words? What do you what, what do you recognize? What? Louder, I'm sorry. Petros? Where is that? Oh, Patro, Patros. Okay, I thought I was hearing Petros. I'm sorry, I've got hearing issues because of my allergies right now. So, what is Patros? You hear what she just did? When you see words that you already know, go ahead and just make a note of them. It helps you sort of frame all these things together. What else do you see that you recognize? Louder? Which is? Okay, so we got some conjunctions in there. So we've got father and... know that word if you just sound it out. Ethnic. Nations or Gentiles. Interestingly enough, depending on context, um, if they're speaking as Jews specifically about non-Jews, it'll be translated Gentiles. But if it's just speaking, like this is Jesus speaking, and he didn't speak, interestingly enough, sectarianly most of the time unless he was speaking in that context, teaching. So that's why they translate it the nations or peoples or whatever. Baptizing. Baptizing. Whoa, you said baptizing? Oh, because you remember it. Okay. That, that, that can get you in trouble sometimes. So, because there's times when the English that is convenient or most flowing is not accurate to the grammar. Okay? What else? What is that? Name. Okay? Nomenclature? The nominational? We have the same word, we just don't recognize it as that. What else? Again, what is that? What word did you say? Optus. So, I'm sorry. 
Uh, okay, it's a pronoun. So the question is, which one? And that's ending. So him, her would be second person. So we have to figure out what person it's in. Because it could be him, her, it could be them. Or it could be third person. Okay, what other words? Okay. What, which is what? Okay, it's got something to do with spirit. What spirit? What? Argue. So, what is that? Holy Spirit. So far, most of these are on your, um, your uh, vocabulary sheets. And again, you don't have to memorize those, but the more you memorize the more common ones, the less you have to look up, at least in terms of the word itself. Okay, now, is there, are there any others that you recognize that you want to just throw in there? You pick up a lot of them. The, the, the good. The dark Okay. What is it? I'm trying to think to make. Yeah, no. You think of the Diakonos? Okay. You, of all people, that's a hint, should know the root of that or recognize it probably. You don't recognize it because you're not thinking along those lines. What is didactic? Yeah, I knew the word, but I, um, is it learning and studying? The other end, teaching. Yeah. So didascontes, wow, I didn't want that accent to be there. Didascontes is teaching. Okay? So we've got a lot of these words already. And, again, let's be real, we've heard the, we've heard the verse. We've heard it. Many of us could probably quote it. But this is where we want to make sure that what we're quoting is actually what it says. And it's probably going to be mostly what it says. But there's going to be a few things that might add some shade of meaning. For example, parathentes or poryuthentes. Poryuthentes. Oh, I love it. Poryuthentes. <laughs> that would be easier to remember for me than poryuthentes. Now, I'll give you a hint. Look at others and see if you see a common ending. Ontes. And then there's ontes. So, okay, so there's something going on there, right? Now, if you've memorized certain endings, it's going to take you there. I will tell you the odds of you having memorized the one for the first one, because the first one isn't exactly the same, is it? 
is similar, but it's not the same. If you've memorized the other two, or the other, because it's the same one, then that tells you that the first one is like that, but with some variance. But if you haven't, then you're going to have to do what? Look her up. So you've got various tools in front of you and or over here. Look it up. Does anybody want an analytical concordance or uh, lexicon? Would you like one? By the way, that was a hint. <laughs> what tool might we want? Anybody finding it?
Okay, the verb is for absentus. Can somebody parse that for me? Nominative, plural, masculine, aorist, participle, participle. Okay. And one more. What voice is it? No, that would be person. What voice is it? That would be a mood. The mood is nominative. Well, actually, the mood is... Well, well, we'll get to that in a second. Does, does the parsing not give you that? No. Dependent. Um, Dependent? Not is what I'm looking for. What is voice? You have three choices. So is it active, is it passive, or is it middle? Hmm? It's passive. But I'm pretty sure the middle would have the same ending. for this, you've got masculine, plural, nominative. What do those describe? What part of speech do those describe? Aorist, tense. Wait a minute. What part of speech does a tense describe? A verb. Why for we got noun and verb stuff together? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> because it's a participle. Okay? Even in English, a participle has aspects of both. It is a verb that can be used as a noun or even as an adjective. Which man is it? The running man. So now it's an adjective. And therefore, as an adjective, it's going to have these about it. See? So, for a sentence, you know now because you've parsed it, but also because this, um, this is... And, and really, those two letters and that letter 
the, the nu or ni tof and then the sigma, that is a, a very common ending of participle. Now, this is a little bit different than those other two that we saw with a common ending of this, which, by the way, one now suspects are participles, right? Because of this. Now, in verbs, what is the theta at the beginning of an ending or a suffix? What is the theta of an indicative of? That's what you do. You go to that chart and go, where's thetas? <laughs> what? What? Oh, it's not an infinitive. In a verb, We're parsing out this, but we already know the parsing. So one hint would be to look at what you already know, because it's got to be indicative of something we know, because we already know the parsing. So for example, these are about the verb, right? It's aorist. It is not, I'll give you a hint, indicative of aorist. There's other things that are, but not that. Passive. So the theta is the common beginning of an ending for a passive verb. Now, is it always no such thing? But most of the time. Are you guys seeing it on the charts? Beginning of the ending. Yes. Well, did you hear me stumble over that about three times already? Yes. Okay, if you look at the master participle chart, where is it? It's in there. It's the. It's right in the middle. First error is passive. It's on the back, right here where my finger is in the middle of it. Go across, and you'll see that sentence. In this case, it's then toss, ending. But the thin is the part that we're paying attention to right now. And that's what gets complicated about parsing some of these is the ending is not indicative of just one thing, remember, but of several things. Right? What, what um, voice it is, what tense it is. In this case, that it's a participle. Now, what is participle? In English, what indicates a participle? Most of the time. Yeah, ing. I-N-G. Okay? That's, that's common enough that it's a pretty good rule. Now, given that, and given that this is passive, and that it is error, how would you translate that? What is this telling you? Well, let me add one other question before I shut for a minute. 
What part of this tells you something useful, even if you can't figure out how to put it in English? Because sometimes that's the question. And in this case, maybe. we're going to need to push beyond this. So normally, I would let you guys stew on it a little bit. Um, and by the way, some of you are in a better